Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Washington to speak with Becca Winkett of Locked On Wizards about the sluggish start from the Wizards, Dwight Howard's injury, and what can happen to change that. We'll speak with Ben DeBose of Locked On Rockets about the uh, the matchup against the Lakers, the brawl, and the suspensions that did get handed down by the NBA. And lastly, we'll speak with Colton Molesky of Locked On Wolves about the Jimmy Butler situation and how this team has handled the start to the season. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On NBA. It is your Monday edition. I'm your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I am the the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. The NBA is back. We've got real games to talk about, of course, storylines flying all across the league. So let's get to it. Let's go now to Washington, bringing one of the hosts of the Locked On Wizards podcast. Becca Winkett is here to discuss the, uh, I guess, somewhat disappointing start for the Washington Wizards. They've started 0-2 on this NBA season. It's not what uh, not what Washington fans would have been uh, hoping for, Becca. No, not at all. Um, we're very frustrated down here in D.C., um, considering the fact that the Heat and the Raptors without Kawhi were beatable, very beatable. So... We're not on a good start, and we're going now. We are going for a five um, game road trip out west, which is going to be even more difficult than these first two games. So, we've already dug um, a hole for the season. So, we're not too happy down here. Of course, Wizards, you know, you look at those teams on paper, the Heat are always a, t- a tough battle. The Raptors, you know, I expect them to get to the NBA Finals, but they had both of these teams coming on the second night of a back-to-back, um, weren't able to get it done. And of course, as you mentioned, the Raptors were with without Kawhi Leonard. There's no Dwight Howard there for the Raptors. How much of an impact do you think that is, that there is no Dwight? But in, in essence, you know, we're replacing Marcin Gortat with Yamahimi in the starting lineup. So most of the team is the same as last year. What's what's happening here? John Wall looks like he's back to his best, but why can't this team you know, get it going at the early portions of the season? Well, part of um, the reason for the loss last night was due to the fact that Dwight Howard was not there. He has a muscle industry. Um, injury which runs through um, his buttocks and whenever that muscle hits a sciatic nerve it's very hard to move his lower body so he's taking the time to heal which is great because we don't need him to rush back and then he'll get even more injured and you know we're fine with that Um, but I do believe that the game was pretty close last night versus the Raptors had we had Dwight in there to kind of protect the paint and not let the Raptors get those shots, we would have been fine. The reason for their um, the points in the paint, there was a lot. The Raptors had a lot. So it kind of – they took advantage of that. They did what they were supposed to do as an opponent. And um, the Raptors bench is just incredible. I mean, uh, Abaka had 16. Fred Van Fleet had 13. Pascal had 10. CJ Miles had 10 points. And our bench, we're just not able to produce those types of points. So when we can't, you know, 
Bradley Beal and John Wall did both both really well last night. Bradley Beal had 32, John Wall had 25. So it's really our bench that's not producing, and it's also some of our starters, such as Otto Porter as well. We'll talk about Otto Porter in a second. You mentioned the bench. It's been a problem and a criticism of the Wizards for, for years that the bench hasn't been able to do much. They did try to strengthen that in the offseason by bringing in Austin Rivers, who's playing yeah, a chunk of minutes. He looks to have overtaken Kelly Oubre in that sixth-man role. But Otto Porter's an interesting one because he has been really passive in these first couple of games. The minutes were very low in Game 2. He is probably the best shooter, one of the best shooters in the NBA, but the best shooter on this team. Why does it seem like the team doesn't want to get him involved or can't get him involved? Scott Brooks had some comments that, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, shadily throwing it out there that um, that uh, Porter may not uh, be working as hard or, or running as hard to get into position. What is it that Otto Porter, again, the, the best shooter on this team, that just isn't getting the looks and, you know, sporting unbelievably low usage rates, which could even come down when Dwight rejoins the lineup? It seems like an, uh, a suboptimal use of resources. Well, Otto Porter obviously is very much so a catch-and-shoot shooter um, behind the three-point line. And Scott Brooks wants him to kind of be more aggressive in a sense that he's attacking the paint. He's creating his own shots for himself. But right now in his career, he's just not able to do that. So it's really hard for him to kind of – he's still getting used to the role that Scott Brooks wants him to be in. Um, however, Scott Brooks, like you said, did kind of have some choice words for Otto. When we, um, the press, we asked him, you know, why didn't Otto play beyond 25 minutes? Because that's very low, you know, that's low for a starter. And he just kind of said, well, Otto was slow. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't playing him how he needed to be. So we just took him out. And for someone that we're paying that much money, you know, um, it's very difficult to understand why he's playing such low minutes, but he, He's just not performing in the way that the team needs him to perform right now. I mean, 11 points, you know, going two for seven at the three-point. You know, Otto is a three-point shooter, and he missed a lot of three-pointers on the sidelines or from the side, and that that's a problem because those are the shots that, you know, the open looks that we really need him to make. He hasn't even been taking huge amounts of threes, only seven threes across the first two games and not hitting them at his usual 40-plus rate. It is a concern, but... You know, we, we talked about the the schedule coming up. They've got the Blazers, then the Warriors, uh, then the Kings, the Clippers, uh, and the Grizzlies. So it, it's a it's a tough run. You know, maybe the Kings and the Grizzlies not so tough. But when you got to travel for the the Blazers, the Warriors, and the Clippers, it's not an ideal scenario for this team. But I do want to touch on just before we let you go, Becca, a positive thing, and that's how John Wall has looked in these first couple of games. We know that he missed basically half of the season last year. With a knee problem, there were some concerns about him maybe looking a little out of shape or a little doughy heading into the season. But how has John Wall looked? Is he back to you know peak top five point guard type John Wall? Or is there still some concern that this knee and, and maybe the conditioning isn't quite there? Um, well, from what I've seen with John Wall so far during the season and the preseason is he's pretty much back into the shape that he was before producing those points, producing those, you know, open looks, setting his players up. And that's pretty much what we need him to do. I mean, he had um, 25 points this game and last game, I believe he had over 30 and um, he's, he's just helping out his teammates. Something that I did see last night, you know, when there's a fast break, John Wall likes to drive down the lane and take the shot himself. But Bradley Beal was, um, with him on the wing and instead of you know going up and dunking it John Wall passed 
the ball to Bradley a couple times and Bradley Beal actually got three point attempt shots. So as a leader for him to kind of facilitate those plays for his teammates and, you know, kind of get, get them going in that way, that's very productive. And I think he's doing a great job so far. Yeah, and the defense for John Wall looks to be back at the level that it was a few years ago, which was something that he always had this reputation of a great defender, and it had somewhat uh, dropped off over the last season or two. But he's yeah, more active there. He's back, you know, showing himself to be one of the best shot blocking guards in the NBA again. So that's a positive. There are still th- some kinks that need to be worked out with this Wizards team. It's going to be tough across this road trip. Uh, you know, really sort of fumbled this start. But uh, Becker and all the guys over at Locked On Wizards will have all of your Wizards information over the uh, over the coming days and weeks. So Becker. Thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA and uh, and talking about a few things that uh, are a little bit troubling in DC. Thank you, Josh. Everyone loves going to a live event, whether it's a sporting event, a concert, musical, comedy, whatever it is. We all love going out and seeing something live in person. Vivid Seats allows you to go and see whatever that event is, whether it is the NBA. Now, we're kicked off the regular seasons here. Let's go out and get these tickets, and you can do that better than anywhere else with Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets to all the live events that you want to go to. You can sort by price. You can also go on there and check the section and the row that you want to go to and find those tickets to help you make the most of your live event experience. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off any order of $200 or more. Download the Vivid Seats app from the App Store or from Google Play and use the promo code LOCKEDON, which is all one word, and you will save $20 off any order of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by the 100% buyer guarantee. So it's the biggest concerts, the biggest games, the biggest events that you want to go and see. Vivid Seats will have it all. Download the app, enter the promo code LOCKEDON, save $20 off Orders of $200 or more for new customers. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. I'm joined now by the host of the Locked On Timberwolves podcast. It is Colton Molesky. The Wolves have played three games. Colton, they're currently one and three. Jimmy Butler has played in two of those games with uh, Tom Thibodeau going with the unusual, uh, for him at least, uh, method of resting Butler in that back-to-back. How has everything seemed in terms of you know, meshing with Butler back with his teammates? Um, you know, they've won, they're, they're one and one in the two games that Butler's played. How has it been um, on court-wise for Butler getting back with this team it's kind of a strange uh i need you right now so i'll do this uh as long as something else gets done kind of situation right they want to trade him he's been very vocal about wanting to get traded and both sides know that they want to get this done butler actually has to uh has to play games he has to be showing and kind of uh, kind of putting on display his talent he's got to be in these games because he doesn't want to affect his free agency next year and uh, the Timberwolves need to keep this moving forward because if they kind of show that they're quitting on the trade then that's going to be a really huge locker room problem as far as Butler in the front office and so both well it seems like the trade talks have cooled uh both of these sides are kind of kind of playing nice right now to get to that goal of getting Butler to on a different roster uh, it's just taking a lot longer than I think people assumed this would take. 
In terms of the reception at the home opener, obviously Butler was booed in the introductions, Tom Thibodeau was booed, but then there were MVP chants coming out as Butler put on a pretty significant performance in, in the games that he has played. Is there What's the local uh, perspective on, on how Butler's being treated? Is, there, is, is it a, di- a division amongst the fan base of you know, people cheering for him or people just saying, get this guy out of here? What's the local, I guess, feeling around this Butler situation and him being back with the team? Well, when I talk to guy to other reporters, uh, but mostly when I talk to a bunch of fans, I, I've tried to get kind of the the feel talking to a bunch of different people who've been following the Timberwolves uh, for their entire lives. Uh, to be honest, a lot of fans think that Butler is kind of an ass, especially the way he acted in some of those practices. But they also know that Tibbs uh, is ridiculously hard to work with and when Tibbs wants to do something and the player wants to go the other way on it it's incredibly hard to get anything done and so they realize that side of it as well and that the entire situation is kind of uh, rotten from front to back and that it's a tough spot and uh, they'll take the good with the bad in in Butler and like you said his production on the court has been there whatever you want to say about his what he's said off of it and so uh, you can kind of swallow that pill uh, if he's giving you 30 points uh, and, or he's giving you nights where he has four steals. So that, that definitely helps ease kind of the sore, sore feeling around Butler and around this whole trade situation. As far as the, the feelings around Tibbs, I don't think that's getting any less uh, hostile because not only is this trade situation dragging out, you are running back a team that has – really struggled on defense and while they've gotten a win over the Cavs and you can say that the push off that wasn't called is maybe the reason that the Timberwolves found a demise against the Mavericks this defense is a Sith and I think when you have a coach that's kind of made his a hallmark of being a defensive guy then and he hasn't produced on that side of the floor the the feeling is going to continue to sour around him as the year continues. What about Carl uh, Anthony Towns who has seemed not quite himself. He seemed lost a little bit. We've had, you know, it's it's for me in particular, it's you know, constantly a field goal attempt to watch for Towns. How involved with is he in the offense? Now that last game without Butler, he was still a little bit uninvolved until the end and ended with a pretty good line. But is do you think that this situation is impacting him on a psychological perspective? Why is he so uninvolved uh, in the game for the majority of the time that he's out on the floor? Well, obviously the... Uh... The first game, you have the foul trouble, right? The second game, he looks pretty solid, but there's still this kind of where teams are going to kind of make it hard on him. Uh, They crowd the paint a little bit, and the Timberwolves didn't shoot. Uh, They didn't space the floor exceptionally well for most of the game against the Cavs. Uh, But against the the Mavericks, there was portions of that game. They shot 51% from three. There were portions of that game where they really did a great job spacing the floor. Uh, and that was probably, even though, like you said, he ended with a pretty good stat line, that was probably the most inexcusable performance when Towns came out and they uh, started with some nice spacing, uh, some really great transition buckets from Butler and Derrick Rose. And then in that first half, you just have Towns coming out flat. I, 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 it just doesn't seem like he is finding a rhythm in these games, especially early on. Uh, it's really interesting to see the flip the script a little bit here with Wiggins seemingly, I know he had foul trouble against the Mavericks, but he's been pretty locked into these games and Towns just, for whatever reason, uh, has had his problems with foul trouble. He's been really going after the refs, especially the last game uh, with uh, arguing. And uh, it seems like his head is more in a call that was made the pass play and not the play that they're in right now. 
Uh, he, I, I think, I think once he finds a rhythm, it'll be off to the races for Towns. But it's just a matter of how many games is that going to take. And right now, I'm not sure how many it will take because this team is in a really weird headspace right now. And uh, right, right now, with all the moving pieces on and off the court they have going on, and all the weird drama around this team, I don't know if that gets fixed anytime soon. And this might be something that we track for the next couple of weeks. I think when the Timberwolves fans before all this Jimmy Butler mess you know, began, they would have looked at the start of this season or even you know, looking at it in hindsight, okay, the Spurs are without so many of their um, you know, point guards. Everyone's injured. You've got the Cavs without LeBron. You've got the Mavericks, who are a team who you know, struggled early on and lost to Phoenix. And then the Mavericks dropped 140 on the Wolves. The Spurs get that victory and the Cavs. Maybe you think that game was a little bit too close for comfort. Although the Wolves still get, did get the victory. So it hasn't been the greatest start. It is looking a little bit shaky. But on the positive side, Colton, after just talking all these negative Derek Rose in that game against Dallas, he looked really, really good. He looked aggressive. He was able to you know, put up numbers in, in in so many different you know, categories across the game and looked in control. It looks like we are seeing, we're not seeing peak Derek Rose. That's never coming back. But he looks to be an improved player this season. How is he fitting in with this scheme? Do you think that the way that he is playing is impacting Towns as well? Or is it overall just a big positive to see Rose give this boost off the bench? It is a really big positive uh, because you had a guy in Tyus Jones coming off the bench that was really helpful as far as uh, helping create turnovers and creating some offense uh, for other players, but you didn't really have a guy. I mean, Jamal Crawford uh, was a, a good perimeter shooter, but you didn't really have a guy that could pick up the pace, could be a guy who could come off the bench and get buckets for this team consistently. Uh, Derek Rose, I know it's only three games, so don't want to jump too far ahead of my skis here, but he, he's been that guy so far that can jump. Even against the Spurs when he shot fairly inefficiently, he still is a guy who is a jolt of energy for the offense. He does a great job helping the pace of this team. I also like that you can play him out there with Teague. You can play him out there with Butler, guys who you run the offense through, and he's shown that he is willing and able to actually play off ball now, which is something I think a few years ago you couldn't say when he was bouncing around between the Knicks and the Cavaliers, and he was still struggling playing off ball. He has shown that he's able to do that now. He's found ways to fit in with a bunch of different kinds of offenses, and he's shooting really efficiently. It was the 11 of 21 last night. Uh, it's really great to not only see Derrick Rose kind of just be a versatile piece to plug in uh, and to help pick up the pace of an offense, but also he's doing this really efficiently. He doesn't need uh, 25 shots to be thrown up. He can he can find buckets. He's picking his spots really carefully, and he's making the most of his opportunities. And he's I think he's becoming more and more every game an important part of this team because when uh, when you have guys like Josh Okogi and Kiev H. Jop who are going to learn the ropes before they actually become a critical part of this team, it's nice to have a veteran who's actually contributing and he's speeding up the game for them too. On Monday when we do the Lockdown Wolves show, I'm going to get really into the numbers, but last year you saw this already in the few games Derek Rose was a part of. He was helping the transition and helping the scoring opportunities on transition plays for the Timberwolves, and now you see him bigger role of minutes, more pace, uh, a, a little more dangerous of an offense this year so far. And that is already showing with Derrick Rose's numbers. He's taking advantage of that transition and that pace. Yeah, it's, it has been really interesting to see him improve and really you know, give something to this Wolves team. Of course, we're going to be watching this team you know, for as long as Jimmy Butler's around and even after that, uh, as you know, we, we see how all the adjustments get made, uh, what Tom Thibodeau's future is, so many storylines. So Colton, you'll have all that info over on Locked On Wolves. Thanks for joining me today on Locked On NBA. 
thank you so much for having me on. As always, it's a pleasure to come and talk some basketball with you, Josh. Let's bring in the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast now, Ben Dubose. An eventful weekend for the uh, for the Houston Rockets, with of course uh, being punctuated by that uh, fracker with that uh, brouhaha against the Lakers, which has resulted in Chris Paul getting suspended for two games. We had Brandon Ingram gone for four games, Rajon Rondo for three games. But let's look at this from a Houston perspective. Paul getting the lightest of those uh, of those penalties. I believe rightfully so. He's claiming that he was spit on by Rajon Rondo. The NBA found that as, as well. But we're not going to you know, dwell too much on that um, on that incident in terms of you know what what actually happened because we've seen that yeah ad nauseum the suspensions are out. But how do how does Houston now cope without Chris Paul for these next two games? Michael Carter Williams hasn't looked great in all of these uh, all of these um, performances so far this season. How are the Rockets going to deal with this uh, Chris Paul absence for the next couple of games? Yeah, it's definitely an impact because you're playing the Clippers and the Jazz, which are two quality teams in the Western Conference. Clippers tonight, it's night two of a back-to-back. The Jazz have looked great to start this year. So no doubt in terms of talent, uh, replacing Chris Paul's minutes with a little bit more to Eric Gordon, but I would say primarily more Michael Carter-Williams, it's a loss The only slight positive I would take from it is the Rockets actually responded to it pretty well last night. They finished the game on a 15-7 to run after the whole fight. The Rockets were only up one when it happened, ended up winning by nine. And it's a Rockets team, when you look at some of their defensive issues, certainly the opener against the Pelicans, but also I'd say for the first three quarters last night, it looked like that for whatever reason they weren't entirely focused it looked like a team and Mike Antoni alluded to this possibility on media day and throughout training camp that felt like it was practically already in the Western Conference Finals and just waiting for that rematch with Golden State as opposed to you know embracing the grind this 82 game challenge all over again it looked like a team to some degree that was going through the motions so it's definitely a big loss when you replace Chris Paul with Michael Carter Williams the only slight positive I can see from it it might help to snap the Rockets out of what looked like for large stretches of the first six or seven quarters, a team that for lack of a better expression, just seemed to be lacking motivation for whatever reason to start this season. We all know the off-season scenarios, Trevor Reza and Luke Marmute going and being replaced by Carmelo Anthony and James Ennis. How has Melo looked in these first couple of games for the Rockets? A big loss against the Pelicans, then that win against the Lakers. We're recording this before the Clippers game on Sunday. How has Melo fitted in? It's only been two games. Have the defensive issues been as prominent as people thought? I thought his final quarter against the Lakers was a relative positive in that regard. But how have you seen Melo fitting in? And as he adjusted this bench role, which he hasn't really had to do throughout his NBA career. It's good and bad, but I would say mostly, I would say I'm more encouraged with Carmelo. With Ennis, it's been a little bit of a different story. I've been a little bit surprised after a strong preseason how much he struggled to earn minutes. I think the freedom of movement emphasis is definitely impacting Ennis to some degree. But with Carmelo, the good, he hasn't been, at least against the Lakers, quite the liability that you would think, given his age and his reputation. He stayed out there for 29 minutes, actually in 29 minutes, had a plus 23, which is the highest plus minus of anyone on the Rockets. And as you mentioned, he was part of the closing lineup in the fourth quarter. I think if there's one Rocket that's disappointed for the most part on the defensive end, it's been Clint Capella. Relative to expectations, Capella's the guy that's kind of underachieved. Some of it might be physically because he had a couple of injuries in the preseason. But Carmelo was out there. He had 10 rebounds in 29 minutes. The plus 23 doesn't lie. 
you know, he's certainly not going to confuse anyone for being a stopper, but he's, his energy has been good. He's trying. And ultimately, especially in October, that can make a lot of difference. Offensively is where, oddly enough, he's had his struggles shooting just 30% from the field, 3 of 10 in both games. And when I say I'm encouraged, it's because as far as Carmelo's problems go, I can't imagine shooting being one that continues throughout the entire year. What it looks like to me, Josh, when you watch these games and you look at the shots he's getting, it looks like a guy who is struggling to kind of get used to the fact that he's as open as he is. There have been so many sequences where he'll get a relatively open look and instead of going straight up to shoot it, he'll jab fake, he'll take a step in. It's almost like he's expecting to still be a creator, which is what he's been for most of his 15 years in the NBA, instead of just being a spot up, you know, you're open, take it immediately, rise and fire. And so I think to some degree, he's made the shots that he's taken harder than they need to be. I mean, he is taking a lot more threes of his looks last night. Seven of 10 were from behind the arc. So you're not really seeing long mid-range mellow anymore. One of the only mid-range shots he got was actually a good one. He switched to like an 18-footer at the buzzer in the at the end of the first quarter. But by and large, he's buying into the shot selection. His attitude is good. It's just a matter of the shots have not gone in from behind the arc just yet. And that's, you know, as far as problems go, I'm not going to say that they're irrelevant, especially when a guy is 34 years old. You always have to worry to some degree about an erosion of skills. But I would say if Carmelo is going to have problems, I would much rather see those problems because I – I think they're more correctable than, say, if he was just getting abused at the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, that is a positive end. But you know, Melo did have these shooting issues last season as well that was compounded with his defensive yeah. problems. So you, you do hope that it can come back, but it's it's far from a fait accompli that that shooting numbers are going to return. One other thing I found interesting with the Rockets is they have played basically with Clint Capella as their only center and P.J. Tucker getting all of those backup minutes. Marquise Chris has been injured and Nene has been injured. We haven't seen Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, Joe Chi has been injured. So Tucker's been holding down that backup center role for pretty much every minute uh, that Capella hasn't been on the court. Is that something that is mainly influenced by the injuries to Chris and to Nene, or is it something that D'Antoni is likely to continue rolling with for large, large chunks of games? It's hard to say. I think the injuries contributed some to it, but it's worth noting that Chris and Hartenstein didn't really stand out even before that. Now, the one thing that I do think could lead to Chris, whenever he's healthy, getting another look, obviously he's a very talented guy, but whether it be physical, mental, whatever the reason, I think an underrated storyline through two games, Clint Capella just has not looked nearly as sharp as he did during the playoffs a year ago. And so it's not just the fact that you don't really have rim protection from your backup center. You're also not getting your usual level of rim protection from your starting center. And I think I saw a stat today that the Rockets – the field goal percentage they're allowing inside the restricted area is the highest of any team in the league. And it's reflected partly of the lack of a backup center, but also the fact that you're not getting what you usually do from Capella. So to some degree, I think they're open to PJ Tucker, who's played fairly well in those sets also with Carmelo at the four. But as far as whether it continues, it's partly based on health, but also monitor the rim protection, monitor Clint Capella. Cause it's not just a matter of how the backups are doing. It's also a matter of, are you getting enough from Capella with those starting units? And if not, then you may have to tweak some things around in terms of you know, who and how you play just to have uh, more rim protection than what you've had through the first two games. I think they're giving up 73% in the restricted area. It is going to be interesting to watch how all this pans out. It's been a, a weird start to the Rockets season. Um, yeah, they're obviously still a really strong team, but some kinks to work out. And Ben, you're going to have that covered all over on Locked On Rockets as the season progresses. Thank you for, once again, jumping on Locked On NBA and giving us your thoughts. 
Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Josh. That does it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are checking out all the podcasts across the network. We've got every NBA team covered, NFL team. We've got baseball teams. We've got college sports starting as well. And check out the rest of Locked On NBA throughout this week. Two big new, uh, new announcements for Locked On NBA. We're going to be having Sam Amick and Ben Golliver on shows throughout the week as well. So make sure you're subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Leave us a review. It's a great way of helping out the show. You can also find me on Twitter at redrock underscore b guys we are done here thank you so much for listening everyone see ya